So I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you, and uh, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, and we're going to talk about happiness today. We're going to talk about what makes us happy and where real happiness comes from. And Jesus offers us something better than happy. He offers us blessing, satisfaction, joy, abundance. And uh, this is the beginning of the message of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read just the first, just the first few verses here. He says in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now that hunger we're talking about there is not the hunger that you feel at about a quarter till noon. It's a, it's a starving hunger, a, a, a deep hunger of a starving human being. A thirst that can't be quenched. That's what he's talking about here. Huh? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, he goes on and says. Blessed are the pure in heart, and on and on. This is the reading of God's word, and God's people did say, Amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a conversation that went something like this? Friend says to you, I need to talk to you. I've got something going on in my life I need to share with you. Been going through some stuff and I need a little bit of advice. Not sure quite what to do. I've been dating this guy. It could be anything. Let me just give you. I've been dating this guy for several months. And he's asked me to marry him. Not sure if I want to get married or not. Not sure. I'd like to know what you think. Or perhaps it's the other way around. I've been married to this guy for a really, really long time. And things haven't been good for a long time. I'm thinking about leaving him and leaving the marriage, getting out of the marriage. I'm not sure what to do. Um, I'd like some advice. You ever have, you have a friend like that who comes, I mean, if you're friends with people, that's going to happen. If you're doing life with people, people are going to come up to you and ask you big questions about big decisions. And maybe you've done that, you've needed some help. Or maybe you're thinking about changing jobs. You know, I was doing this, I've been doing this for the last 20 years. You know, my heart's just not in it anymore. And uh, I'm thinking about something else. I mean, it could be just almost anything. You're talking with someone about a big decision in life, and then they look at you and they say, what do you think I should do? And then you say, you know, there's a lot of different things. I have an opinion, but I'd rather not share my opinion with you or give you my advice. All that really matters to me is that you are, right? I just want you to be happy. Now, that's a great thing. What a great wish for a friend to say, I just want you to be happy. Let me look at you and say, I just want you to be happy too. And I hope you want me to be happy. We, we want to be happy people. Anybody ever said that? Raise your hand. It's okay. I'm going to trash it in a minute, but raise your hand because we've all said it. <laughs> Anybody ever had that said to you? You have. And we, tell, we say, you know, I really don't care to our kids what you do just as long as you're happy. Well, let me now tell you why that is just really terrible advice. Um, 
You know, it's great to want uh, a friend to be happy. We want people to be happy. But that's just about the worst possible thing you could ever say to anybody. And let me tell you why, for a few reasons. Number one is, what does that really mean, happy? Right? What does it really mean to say, I just want you to be happy? What is happiness anyway? It's so, it's so circumstantial. It's a feeling. It comes and goes. Sometimes we feel happy. Sometimes we don't feel happy. What does it really mean? What does happiness really mean? And then the other thing is, where do you find it? Because when you say, when you say um, I just want you to be happy, where are the guidelines for that? Because everywhere you look in the world, there are people that want to tell you, this is what you need to be happy. Walk this way, do this, you'll be happy. Listen to some of the culture on relationships, and what will the culture on relationships tell you about marriage? If you're not happy, then something's wrong. No, if you're not happy, you're probably just married. You know what I mean by that is, I always tell people, don't get married if you want to be happy. Because marriage is, is about something that's bigger than happy. You're not always going to, if you're happily, sometimes you're happily married and sometimes you're not happily married. And if you base your marriage on when you're happy and you're not happy, you won't be married for very, very long at all. Because he's not always going to make you happy. Where are the guidelines? So our culture says, you know, if, oh, oh, if, if you have this car or you have this house or you have these friends or you achieve these things, you'll be happy. But a lot of the things that people say will make you happy, why is that the case that they make everyone so unhappy? Let me give you an example. You know Sheryl Crow? I love Sheryl Crow's music. Um, Sheryl Crow is a great singer-songwriter. She, she grew up in Missouri. Her dad was a trumpet player. She was a school teacher. And then uh, she became a songwriter and musician, and she's made it really big in the music world. And she writes great choruses. She has some of the best choruses. Very memorable. My, one of my favorites is, uh, I just want to have fun on Santa Monica Boulevard, you know? And uh, then she says, and I think I'm not the only one. Great song. But there's one that's really popular, and it's, uh, if it makes you happy, right? She says, if it makes you happy, why is it so bad? Right? Now, think about that. That's, that's a, sort of a, a thing about our culture. Hey, you know, if it, feel good, if it feels good, do it. You know, if it makes you happy, you know, don't worry about anything else. It's okay. It's not so bad. But then she says the next line in the chorus, which is awesome because she just flips it around and critiques what she just said. She said, if it makes you happy, then why is it so bad? And she says, but if it makes you happy, then why are you so which is why that are you so sad? Interesting, because she wrote that song after she became very successful as a musician. You know, I've always wanted this. Uh, I've been pursuing this in my life. I finally have achieved my dream. I'm famous. I'm rich. People love my music. Uh, they're selling my records. But if that's the case, then, you know, why am I so sad? The, the big problem, the big problem with saying to somebody, I just want you to be happy, is what does that really mean? Here's a second problem with that. You know what it says is the goal of life? The goal of life is the pursuit of happiness. You listen to our culture. What does our culture teach today? The primary goal and focus of your life is all about your happiness. Finding the right person so you can be happily ever after. 
you know, getting the right job so you can be happy. Having the right... The goal in our culture is happiness. Let me give you an example then. We have a shifting understanding in our culture about what a wonderful life is. Anybody see It's a Wonderful Life? Of course you have. One of the greatest movies I think ever made. I love it. I love Jimmy Stewart, real American hero, great actor. And uh, Jimmy Stewart, you may remember, plays a character named George Bailey. Bedford Falls. Big dreams for his life, right? And he's going to leave Bedford Falls, going to shake the dust off this little town and go live his dream and chase his dream. He's going to travel all over the world, see the world. Then he's going to go to school. He's going to become an architect. He's going to build great things. He's going to become an engineer and an architect. That's his dream. But what happens? You may remember? His dad dies. He's a good son. Let's his brother go off to the war and then pursue his dream. He, the dutiful son, stays home, takes over the savings and loan, and gives away everything. He lives a giving servant life. At the end of his life, he wonders, you know, uh, he loses a whole scenario. He wonders what my life's been about. You know, I've given myself to people over and over again. What do I have to show for it? And so he's despairing and upset and thinks God hasn't answered his prayers. And he jumps off a bridge to drown himself, to kill himself. He's saved by an angel named Clarence. And the movie ends by George Bailey saying, you know, you've had a wonderful life, George. Look at what you've been able to accomplish with your life. The wonderful life, George, that you've lived. You're one of the richest men in town. And the hope, what's the point of the movie? What is a wonderful life? Serving others. Giving your life away to other people. Right? Duty, responsibility, selflessness. Now, what would happen if we made that movie today? Very different definition of it's a wonderful life. A wonderful life is about your dreams. It's about your visions. It's about your happiness, not about the happiness of others. It's not about duty. It's not about responsibility. George Bailey, if the movie were made today starring Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt would leave home. He would leave Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston and go marry Angelina Jolie and leave in some other country. That's terrible, isn't it? Well, that's, that's, that's really bad. Take that off the tape. But, but what would happen is George Bailey wouldn't stay home anymore. George Bailey would go and fulfill his dream. That's the false gospel of happiness in our culture. That the goal of life is about being happy. And here's the third thing. You know what's the problem with that? It's selfish. It's what I call the gospel of selfie. Have you noticed the way uh, things are changing in our culture? It used to be that when uh, people went on vacation, uh, they took pictures with their families. Now they just take pictures of themselves and post them on Instagram. Look at me in front of Niagara Falls. Well, where's your family? I remember uh, going to... Uh, uh, on vacation with our family, and one of the members of our family, one of the teenagers in our family, we're all sitting together at the table, having dinner at the table, and uh, she's not interacting with anybody at the table. She's just taking pictures of herself and posting them on Instagram. I wouldn't blame her, but that's our, it's, it's the gospel of the selfie. This, whole, this false gospel of selfishness. And if I've learned anything 
uh, from being a father and a dad and being a husband and from being a minister from just being a human being, David, it's really not about you. I remember somebody told me this um, when we had our granddaughter, a friend of mine looked at me and said, David, the sooner you realize it's no longer about you anymore, <laughs> that your wife doesn't care about you anymore, she just cares about that granddaughter, once you realize that, you're going to be a happier person because it's not about you. If I learned anything, if you want to be a miserable human being, make life all about you. The primary fundamental teaching of Jesus is this, is that if you want to uh, gain your life, you've got to let go of your life. That you get life by giving it, not receiving it. And that's wrong. what's wrong with this. I don't want you to just be happy. You see, this is what the Bible teaches fundamentally and profoundly. It says that when God made you, God put a restlessness in your heart, in your spirit. God put a blank inside your heart and in, in you that only God can fill. And so what happens is when people are no longer happy anymore, they begin to feel that restlessness down inside of them, that ache, that, that longing, that desire for something more in life, and they begin to feel it. Where does that come from? It comes from God. And that God, it's God's way of saying, you need me. That's God's way of saying, I want you. That's God's way of saying, you can find your joy, your satisfaction in your life inside of me. That's what it's saying. Now, one of two things happen in our culture. In the gospel of happiness, what it means is you're restless, so, so go on to the next thing, hoping it will give you what you need. And then go, on to, go from one relationship to another. Go to, from one job to another and get what you need. And the restless, what it does, it leads to exhaustion and to emptiness. You think that's true? Yeah, it is. The other thing is a lot of times none of us even feel the restlessness. You want to know why? We are living unexamined lives because we're living distracted lives. You know what's wrong with your cell phone? It's on, yeah. What's wrong with your cell phone is that it distracts you from your inner longings. You never have to sit anywhere alone and silent with any, because you've always got something in front of you to entertain you, and we are entertaining ourselves to death. We never have to deal with what's inside of us that makes us uncomfortable. And as long as you never deal with what's uncomfortable inside of you, you're never going to meet the one that created you. We're distracted ourselves, we're distracted to death, and we keep chasing happiness. At some point, you've got to feel the pain in your heart and your life to find out that you can't get what you need horizontally. You can only get it vertically. I'm going to preach to the church right now because this is the truth about the church. Christians are no different from most of the people in the world. You want to know why? We say Jesus is our Savior but we're still using the same things that the world is using to try to save ourselves. We say he's our Savior, but we're still trying to save ourselves. Still trying to save ourselves through our political ideology. Still trying to save ourselves through our incomes and our achievements and our affiliations and our religiosity. The same way. And it's why we have the same level of misery and unhappiness as the world around us. Here's the cool thing. We have an alternative. The primary teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is that if you will seek God's kingdom, 
God will give you what you need above all things. That happiness is something that comes, that comes from inside of us, true, lasting happiness that comes from God. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 6, why are you chasing after the stuff that the world's chasing after? Matthew 6.25 says, why are you worrying about all the stuff that the world wants? Because those things will never make you happy. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will give you all the things that you need. And that's why he goes on and he says later in the same sermon, he says the road is really big that leads to destruction. And people are walking down that road with one another. The whole world is chasing, the whole world is chasing happy. And it leads to destruction. It's a real narrow road that is seeking me, that leads to life. That's the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus is so weird. I'll look back at the Beatitudes one more time. I want to show you this. Look, this is what's so cool about the teaching of Jesus. It is so outrageous it has to be true. Look what he says. People who are poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, people who are hungry are the blessed people. Now, in one sense, he's talking here literally about hungry people, poor people, mourning people, meek people. It ought to say something to us about who we're supposed to care about in this world and who we're supposed to welcome and include. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for people living on the bottom. The problem is we're not the people living on the bottom. We're chasing happy. The reason people are living on the bottom is because we're chasing happy and using all the world's resources to, to satisfy ourselves. That's, now I'm preaching now. That wasn't even the message. It just came from somewhere above, I'm telling you. <laughs> as long as you try to settle the ingest, indigestion of your lives with the tums of materialism, you're never going to be satisfied. But what he says here then, for those who live on the top, is that our spiritual poverty, that we are not going to find what we're looking for till we realize we can't save ourselves. That we are broken and poor in spirit. That we can't do it for ourselves. Unhappy is the beginning of happy. It's our spiritual poverty. He said then that spiritual poverty leads us to realize how desperate we are. Mourning our condition. God, I can't save myself. And then it leads us to the point of surrendering. I surrender. I make a terrible savior of myself. And then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You know what he means? Blessed are the people on the earth who hunger and thirst for what it is that God wants. i, I got to go back to this again. I'm going to tell you, the reason we have so much poverty in the world is that people who have everything think that God gave it to them, and God didn't give it to them. We just have it because of where we were born. But we've been deluded to think it's all about our happiness, and we use up all the world's resources trying to satisfy an appetite only God can satisfy. And once we begin to realize our poverty of spirit, and once we begin to realize who we are, and only God can fill us what's inside of us, do you know what happens next? Read, go into the next passage. I'm going to get after it right now, because it says, then we are blessed of the merciful. Because what happens is we realize that we're no better off than anybody else on the earth. We realize that we're broken just like everybody else. And it creates a mercy inside of us for other people. 
And let me tell you, when you begin to live that way, when you begin to live for the other, you realize that happiness, happiness, real happiness comes from living and being who God wants us to be in the world and knowing that the greatest, the, the thing inside of us that we long for, that we ache for, that we're distracting ourselves with is God, is what we need. Well, let me ask you this. So perhaps the trouble that you run into, that other people we all run into, is that perhaps in trouble you run to other people instead of to God, hoping that they can be your personal Messiah. And perhaps when you feel all this uncomfortable, you run to entertainment, hoping to numb your troubles away. Or maybe you run to a substance trying your best to turn off the pain. Or maybe you're tempted to run to food or sex fighting pain with pleasure. And since none of these things can provide the refuge that you seek, when you put your hope in the wrong things, all it does is add to your disappointment and your heartbrokenness. When the reality is that God is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in times of trouble. And Jesus says, if you will seek me, seek his kingdom, you will get what you need and everybody else will get what they need too. And God, and he says, quit chasing what the pagan world is chasing. So I want to give you an invitation today, a big invitation. Biggest invitation of all that's bigger than joining a church, but the invitation to give your life to him. Feel inside what you need to feel and to know that he put that longing there for you. Offer your life to Him, to surrender to Him, and to hunger and thirst for what He wants. Go to Him in desperation. Plead with Him to be your Savior. I don't think that we should ask Jesus to be our Savior just once, but every day. I need saving every day. This preacher can't give you what he doesn't have. I need him every day. Don't chase happiness. Follow Jesus. You'll find what you need.